Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Never the Same. It's a podcast where we talk about navigating uncertainty and the events that changed us. I'm your host, Jordan Chu. Thanks for joining me as we navigate this beautiful but uncertain world together. What do I do with this energy that I've always had to protect him and to save him and to fix him and to just help him? And that energy didn't have anywhere to go. And so I think that was a big part of my healing is understanding like what I'm going to do next since I can't fix or help or mend anything with my brother anymore. Today's guest is McKenna Royce. McKenna and I met socially last year at a very fun birthday party weekend up in Tahoe, skiing, hanging out, and um, it was only after we got back that we realized, unfortunately, we had way more in common than it seemed on the surface. McKenna lost her brother Dylan tragically to suicide just a few months after Lee, and while his story carries the additional weight of addiction, the journeys we've both ended up on have way too many similarities to count. McKenna is such an inspiration for her self-awareness and drive to help others avoid a similar plight. She's created a charity and organization called Dylan's Camp that is dedicated to suicide and mental health awareness through connection, community, and service. And in our conversation, we get into what to do with the energy that was previously being used to care for and worry about your loved one, what grief has to teach us and how it can be beautiful, the power of breathwork to connect to lost memories and heal trauma, how those you're close with can surprise you in times of loss and what it's like to go through grief together as a family and how it can change those already tight bonds. McKenna is so genuine and easy to drop in with even on such a tough subject. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. All right, well, let's just go. Let's do it. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, Thanks for coming by. I'm going to do a little intro for you, but why don't you, why don't you tell us who you are and it could be as short as you want. It could be as much detail as you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I'm McKenna Royce. Um, I guess, well, the reason we got, we kind of started this conversation. Yeah, how, how, how do we, how do we know each other? How do we? Yeah. We met each other on a random trip. Um, to Tahoe for our friend Becca's birthday and got mutually connected and I think we had heard of each other's stories from afar and realized we wanted to connect further on that and here we are yeah it's a bit of a I feel like the way we met which was like a very fun like carefree ski weekend and then I didn't actually know about your story until after that and Becca had told me that she's like yeah you and you and McKenna unfortunately have a lot in common and would probably have a lot to connect on and the more I kind of looked into it I was like oh shit yeah she's uh she's part of the club part of the club (laughs) yeah you don't ever want to be a part of Yeah. yeah um so just to give some context and I know you know this but this podcast is something that I've been doing just to for a couple of reasons. One, um, when I went through Lee's death and, and all the aftermath of, of that, it was really helpful for me to hear other people talking about what they'd been through. And it really helped a kind of feel like, you know, we're not alone. And like, you know, as, as much as it feels like this has never happened to anyone else, like 
there was a little bit of a, a oh it's the camera oh it's the camera great i think it did turn off <laughs> pause pause so what i was saying is like when when lee died and you know in the immediate aftermath i didn't want to hear anything but as i started kind of like putting the pieces back together it was really helpful to hear people who had had similar stories because i felt like they were kind of the only people who who really understood and and more than that it was also even though i couldn't really necessarily believe it at the time that you know in a year or two years or five years or 10 years like i wouldn't be feeling like how i was feeling um I could see that these people were putting their lives back together. They were raising families. They were dating new partners. They were, you know, kind of still finding joy. And, you know, that didn't mean that they weren't still hurting and still going through it and still missing the people that they lost. But um, it kind of gave me a little bit of hope to to be like, okay, well, you know, one foot in front of the other and maybe I can get there too. So. So being able to share that, you know, with even one person and hopefully give them that feeling of, yeah, there's, there's hope after, after the insanity, um, has been really important. And then the second is just, it makes you feel less, less alone in it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that has also been super important. So I'm really glad to be able to connect and yeah, yeah. it's, it's actually quite wild. I feel like when and we'll get into it but when when my brother passed I feel like it's that like blackout moment and you, you have no idea where to put your foot next or what to do next or how to even get a glass of water um I've been really I guess blessed with a community of people who I have somehow gotten connected with just by being open about my story mm -hmm. um that has brought so much light to my life since then. Um, but I, I truly, in those moments, you don't know where to turn. Um, and you really don't want to hear any, what anyone has to say, cause there's nothing that's going to make it better. No. But, um, I think once you kind of come out of that blackout state, like the only thing that really helped me was being able to connect with someone who had gone through the same experience. Um, yeah, it's a club you never want to be in, but when you do have those people to be able to lean on and, even just, you know, what happens next? Like, mm -hmm. where do I go from here? It's really, really paralyzing. Yeah. I mean, Cheyenne, who's one of my best friends who I just chatted with for the last episode, she, you know, she lost both her parents very tragically, like within a year or two of each other. And, um, she's, she's been through a lot of loss. Like she lost an ex and, you know, she's been through it. And one of the things she was one of the first people to show up for me and she, at some point was just like, look, you know, you're, you're in this club now. Like nobody wanted you to be here. Like, you know, nobody ever wants to welcome new members, but when they show up, like the, the other members will do anything for mm -hmm. them. And so it's like, and it all goes back to community. Yeah. Well. And it goes back to community. Um, so I guess let's, let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your, why you're, here and why we're chatting um you know your brother dylan and you can tell as much of that story as, as feels comfortable but just to give some context and, yeah uh, um well unfortunately i'm here um because i lost my brother almost we're coming up on two years it was july 15th 2021 um 
and I can hands down say it was absolutely the worst morning in news I had ever faced in my entire life. Um, my brother successfully took his life. Um, and it had been a long time of worry. Um, and I guess for me, a lot of hope that he would hang in there, but I really got a glimpse into what someone deals with when they are going through, um, a lot of pain mentally. And it was really crazy that when I, once I lost him, I think one of the first like rational things that I thought about in the morning, right. Whenever I had found out was like, is like, where do, what do I do with this energy that I've always had to protect him and to save him and to fix him and to just help him. And that energy was, didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and so I think that was a big part of my healing is understanding like what I'm going to do next since I can't fix or help or mend anything with my brother anymore. Um, but yeah, he, he ended up taking his life on July 15th. Um, it's just me and my brother. So he is my only sibling, um, very close family unit. Um, we're probably one of the craziest families that most people have ever met. Once you've met us, um, the Royce's are, are very well known in their community, um, for being pretty wild, but, um, yeah, not having the fourth member of our family has been honestly the most devastating thing um, of my life. And my brother, just to go into it, you know, he he did struggle with depression really since he was probably like 14 or 15. Um, not diagnosed. I think ultimately he probably had bipolar and a lot of other things that, you know, weren't diagnosed. But um, he struggled with it for a very long time. He ended up turning to addiction really when he was like 18 and that was a battle for years. So when he passed, he was 31 years old and he had been battling addiction on and off that entire time. And I was kind of like his light in shining armor. Like basically I would at any beck and call anytime he needed me, I would be picking up the phone. I'd be sitting on the phone with him for hours drive to him, put him in a rehab, whatever he needed. Um, so when I talk about the energy and not really knowing what to do with that after he passed, that has a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately we lost him. Um, and to be honest, like I had always potentially known that I could lose my brother. That was always something I thought about. I can remember like being in college and like rehearsing his funeral words and stuff. Um, mm. and like it always being so constantly on my mind. Um, but I can tell you hands down, nothing prepares you for the moment that you actually lose them. Nothing like it is the most crippling, paralyzing, like awful feeling that you feel like you're never going to be able to escape. Um, so I think for me, like I had always thought that it could happen, but I, I really didn't think it would be by suicide, to be honest. Hmm. Did he, did he have those conversations with you about where he was at? And 
Um, yes, I think more than anyone, like I talk to my dad now and my mom about it and I'm like, you know, did Dylan never talk to you about those things? And we would talk about it together, my parents and I, but he was most definitely a lot more open with me. I think our relationship got so much better into like my mid twenties. I started attending Al-Anon meetings and stuff and understanding how to deal with someone's addiction and also my own sickness in their addiction to fix them and things. Um, and so I grew to have a really, really solid relationship with him that he could trust and be super vulnerable with, which took a lot of, it, it, it's a lot of weight to carry. Um, especially when your sibling or someone that you love very much is being open about those things. But for me, I would have done anything. So he was very open about it. Never wanted to scare me. Um, but wanted to let me know that there are thoughts that cross his mind every single day. I even went back into like text messages from before, um, which has been really hard to do. But like, you know, even in like 2019, he was expressing that over text and that he was suicidal and he can't help it. And it's something he thinks about every day. Um, but it's odd because everything, obviously everything in hindsight is 2020. But like yeah. I look back and I'm just like, man, all the writing was on the walls. But yeah, you, you can't blame yourself um, but that's not to say you don't do a lot of it, especially at the very beginning. It takes a lot of healing to figure out that you can't be responsible for someone's life, but man. Yeah. I mean, the very similar, you know, without the like long kind of backstory, but with Lee, it's like at any point you look at hindsight and you're like, Oh, if I know how the story ends, there's a million things I would have done differently. Right. You know, I would have taken him to this or I would have showed up for this or I would have said this, you know? Um, but that's unfortunately not how Mm -hmm. life works. And yeah, I did, I did a lot of questioning, um, kind of in the immediate aftermath when it was like the point of how could this have happened? Um, the how could this have happened conversation like turn back to myself and be like how come I didn't do this how come mm-hmm. I didn't do that and what I r- realized was you know and and really honestly the only reason I can sleep at night is like I know that I was doing everything as I'm sure you were that you could have with the information you had at the time mm-hmm. and like that's that's kind of the the really terrifying thing about mental health is that you're not in that person's head and therefore you will Mm -hmm. never understand what's going through their head. And I think that goes like, I can think back to the conversations with my brother, you know, and I, same thing, you know, hindsight's 2020, but I, I look back and I'm like, you know, the things I would say to him, cause now that it's happened, you go and you read every single book about it and what you can do. And I've started a nonprofit and all these things to understand it. But I think, like when I was having these conversations with him, I can remember him being like, you just, you don't understand. And like, I, I'm a pretty positive person, um, naturally. And I'd be like, I don't understand, but like, tell me. And he'd just be like this, just angst of like, you have no idea, like what my mind tells me to do every day and what my mind, you know, how negative it is towards myself and all of these things. And I truly never understood it. Um, no matter how hard I tried. Um, but I was reading, I was reading this book, Martin O'Toole, how to die happy. And there's one like blurb in it. That's like, there's nothing more noble than being a friend to someone who's in a depressed state or going through it. Cause I think if you 
anyone who's probably listening to this or has a friend that's been going through a hard time, like it's not easy. Like it, it's not easy to show up for someone who might constantly be negative or be struggling or not be able to show up for you. Um, but I truly believe that there is nothing more noble than to show up for someone who is, is going through that and to consistently be there for them. Yeah. And even just to hold space for the experience that they're having, you know, and not be like, well, just snap out of it Mm -hmm. and smile and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Look at how beautiful it is outside. Like, I mean, I, I was definitely guilty of doing all that with, Mm -hmm. with Lee, like, like could not wrap my head around this, such a positive person being so down when she had everything there for her. And, you know, that's one of my biggest regrets is like not knowing more about mental health and, Mm -hmm. and about how depression works and about really like the fact that, you know, as much and as noble as it is to show up for somebody, like there's nothing really that, you know, you can do to like bring someone out of a Mm -hmm. depression. Like, and that once I kind of understood that, it took a lot of weight off from being like, I didn't do enough. I didn't do the right things. Um, but it also made me want to like try to figure out, okay, well, what are the things and like, what are the tools that people can use themselves? And you know, what are, are there combinations? Like, is it therapy? Is it medicine? Is it, you know, um, anything else, you know, from exercise and, you know, vitamin D being outside? Like, I don't know, what is it? And sometimes like the answer is nothing. Like sometimes like you can do all the right things and it's not going to actually make right. much of a difference, but you know, maybe there are some things that you can do. Um, I think one of the, one of the really tough parts about Lee specifically, um, and I guess probably your brother as well was that it was a pandemic and mm-hmm. like the isolation, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people, all the time, like, you know, Lee will never be counted as a a pandemic death. You know, she didn't die from COVID. She didn't, you know, need to be aspirated and put on a ventilator. Like she didn't die of COVID, but she definitely was seriously affected by being isolated and not being able to be around her friends and family and, you know, have easy access to doctors and, um, you know, all just have social outlets, whatever it was that kind of like would I think otherwise have like naturally boosted, um, her level of happiness and ability to cope with the world. So yeah, the, the pandemic effects of like unrelated pandemic deaths, I think mm-hmm. are, are kind of underreported. And what's still, I mean, and still, still yeah, massive I, and effect by it. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the isolation of all of that, the also, I think when you naturally have, you know, your mental state is struggling. I think that, the unknown of all of that and what's next and Mm. now and I also think like my brother's a Pisces he's also just like someone who carries like so much of people's problems on his own shoulders like I always say he carried the weight of the world's problems on his shoulders like I just don't it was like he he didn't have any tools to be able to handle that in such isolation, um, whatsoever. Um, so I couldn't agree more. I think it had a massive, massive effect on what actually ended up happening. So knowing that and knowing now kind of what you've, 
what you've personally learned about mental health, depression, everything else. Um, I want to go back to the community aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've started a charity Mm -hmm. and how does that all kind of tie in together? Yeah. Um, well, I think it kind of has to back up for me. Like I, my family has always been a part of, um, the AA community. My, both my parents, um, one being a recovering alcoholic now, but they've always struggled with addiction. Um, and when I was born, they had both gotten sober and AA was like the big community that they were a part of. And honestly, if it weren't for AA, like our family wouldn't have been what our family was for so many years, um, or been able to do what we did. But I took that same, you know, I started going to Al-Anon when my brother was really struggling and my dad was struggling. And for me, like the community aspect and then being able to sit around a circle and listen to people who had maybe gone through what you had gone through or potentially far worse that gave you a lot more perspective on your life and your situation and your problems to know that you're not alone. I definitely carried that into what I created. Now, I would say I started this like two months after my brother passed away, which was called Dylan's Camp. And I was most definitely in a completely blacked out state. Like I was going to say the fact you're doing anything productive two months after is... I, yeah, it, it just, I think if my mind didn't go towards production and figuring something out and like, what can I do to fix this? Um, although there was nothing I could really do to fix it, but it was like my brother, my brother, his whole thing, when, when he passed away, I got really scared because although suicide is a big part of this, like addiction was a really, really big part of this as well. Um, when he passed, I got so scared because obviously people who are in and out of going through really bad episodes of addiction, they lose a lot of people in their life and a lot of friends. And when he passed, I got so scared, like, oh my gosh, does anyone love him? Like, Hmm. is anyone going to reach out? Does anyone remember him? And then showing up at his memorial is like just the most loving like group of people from all walks of life that showed up and supported him. Um, and I remember saying his memorial, like, this has so much to do with community. Like, had my brother, you know, I'd always tell him, like, you got to get back into Al-Anon, man. If, if, if anything else, like, you've got a community. You've got people that'll back you up. You've got support and friends and, you know, I, you got to get back into it. And it's hard because the more and more you go in depth into that mental space, like, you, the less and less you want to be connected with people, right? Um, but for me, the nonprofit got started because one of my good friends, Sam, uh, my brother's good friend, Sam called me after he had passed and he had gone out and raised some money for suicide awareness. And, and he was like, you know, I think we could be onto something if we started something. So we got a, um, we started the nonprofit and really it's pretty simple. It's about community connection and service and, We've been doing a lot of the meetings on Zoom, but it's truly just creating a safe space for people to share what's happening in their life, to connect with others, um, and then to put on events where we're being of service and kind of getting outside of ourselves. Love that. What yeah. what type of events do you guys do? Uh, picking up trash. Um, we're going to put on an art event that's happening um, in a few months where we get a bunch of different artists to raise some money for um, different mental health, um, nonprofits or charities and things. Um, 
And then what I would say is like getting into it, like it's now been two years, but I started that two months after my brother passed away. But I do think it got really, um, the territory got really intimidating for me because I think being in that blacked out state, you haven't really healed from anything. You don't know what's next. That I was getting a lot of that community reaching out for their own reasons of their own mental health reasons or you know, they had a friend that wanted to take their life. And for me, like I really needed to do a lot of healing myself before I could show up for people in that way. And you, you know, in grief, like you, you don't even realize how disconnected, like I'm a very connected person with all of my friends and my family and I'm trying to be very present. And when that happened, it was like that all just got shattered. Um, I wasn't, I can tell I'm not able to connect with people the way that I was before. Um, or their story has to be really like kind of intense yeah. for me to like be listening with all ears perked. Cause if it's something that I don't find to yeah. be, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I mean, that's again, see a lot of similarities, but you know, in the immediate aftermath, um, of Lee passing, I did kind of a similar thing. Like I put together a GoFundMe and we raised a bunch of money for mental health awareness. Like we had a whole kind of viral, um, hashtag movement speak up for Lee. And like, it felt really good to like be in the kind of taking that energy and like that anger and, you know, frustration and like putting it towards something. And then I realized after I can't put a finger on exactly how long it was, but it felt like maybe six months or a year where I was just like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I was, I was posting all the time. I was, you know, super active online. I was trying to connect people with resources and, you know, to your point, like it got really heavy Mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't know if me taking on other people's stories right now is really maybe the best thing for me and, and my healing process. Like, you know, um, specifically I had a lot of people reaching out, like DMing me on Instagram, like telling me their stories, which is kind of an amazing place to be that like people would trust me with like really intimate Mm -hmm. moments of their life. And then the flip side, like really kind of heavy and, and could be scary where it's like, I don't, I need to send you some professional resources. Like mm-hmm. this is a lot for me to like be taking on and, and I'm not a professional. And like, mm-hmm. if you're in this dark place, like I can, you know, send you love, but I, I can't like physically help you and mm-hmm. you need to seek professional help. So that was, that was something that I really kind of had to take an active step back from, um, at least in terms of like, what I was doing and how I was showing up online. Um, and I think I got a lot quieter as I just kind of like retreated back and was like, all right, I need to like work on myself before mm-hmm. I can show up for other people. I think it goes back like, because I started feeling guilty about that as well. It's like, well, gosh, if I could just, you know, my brother would have helped anyone. And that's what I was getting to in that story of his memorial, like, and not thinking anyone, like then the stories that were shared were that mm. he you know, no matter what state he was in or, um, he would always reach out to someone like who was struggling and always, you know, he's the type of person to give the the shirt off their back in a Mm -hmm. heartbeat. Um, and I think with this whole thing, I started struggling with feeling really guilty about, 
you know, it's like I've started this thing, but I, I now need to like retreat back. But I, I tried to come down and like understand that like just me and like my story can, can be enough to just help one person and like that trickle effect and the way that I live my life every day and the way that I connect with people and, um, whether it's the energy I exude, you know, whatever I can do, like would be enough for me. And I had to really like take that that down a few notches because it just gets, your idea gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But for me, it got more and more intimidating. Um, the more and more people that were participating, to be honest, and it's an epidemic. Like it's, 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 there's a lot going on in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, we're living at a time when I think even forget the pandemic and forget that like people are struggling more in general, but I think there's such an awareness right now about struggle and, mm-hmm. and in a good way, um, an openness towards talking about it and bringing it out into the open, which I think is, is absolutely amazing. But it does mean that there's so much more talk around mm-hmm. struggle, around mental health, around everything. So to be in a position where now all of a sudden those people are coming to you, I mean, that's, that can be a lot. Um, and obviously, you know, two years is not that long because um, no. I'm, I'm maybe a few months ahead of you, you know, mm-hmm. Leo is, uh, March 21 or yeah, March 21. And we talked about this, but I can remember it's like before this happened with my brother, I was always very acutely aware of other people's scenarios and situations that could potentially be my reality. And I can remember like seeing Lee's story on Instagram and like literally with like the heaviest heart just feeling that and it's wild to be connected with you now but I can just yeah it's it's hard you you I've had I mean seven people in my direct community who have one lost a brother but then there's four of them who have lost either a sibling or someone very very close to them family member by suicide um, which is just unbelievable to even think that or say that or that I got connected with people because of this um but it's really sad so let's take a step back for a second um when you said that uh you connecting with people who who have these like really intense stories is is different than it used to be or like you're able to give different amounts of energy mm-hmm. than you used to be um I'll preface it by saying like, I feel like a very different person from two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, how would, how would you say that you, you've changed as a person? Hmm. So much. (laughs) Um, I now know that there are life events that happen that completely flip your world upside down. Um, and, it's crazy because I say this like I just had a really good friend who her brother took his life. Um, and that was like two months ago. And I was just talking to her, walking with her on the beach the other day and trying to give advice. But there's not a lot of advice to give, right? Um, just kind of almost like preparing her for like that this is a long road ahead. Um, but I feel like spiritually one, like that most definitely is hands down. Um because I think when you're in your reality and before you've lost someone, like this is all, you know, and then all of a sudden you lose them and like you are desperate to connect in any way, shape or form. Um, 
So my spirituality, I think my priorities, um, I think my mo- my own mental health has, you know, I, I've never truly struggled with depression up, up until, to be honest, like maybe in the last six months where I feel like it really hit me and I, I needed to take a step back from everything. Um, it wasn't about excelling anymore in life. It was like, wait, I kind of need to like survive. Yeah, exactly. And take care of myself. Um, but it's most definitely changed in, I think my family's always been really open to people with pretty, um, insane stories and like characters and who have gone through like rough upbringings. And so I've always been really open and eager to like learn about people's stories. But now I think that just takes a whole new toll on me to like hear people. Cause my, like my heart and like everything feels so deeply connected with people who have gone through a similar experience or are struggling. Um, so I think like that's not a bad thing. I think with with grief, like it's changed a lot, but I have to say that like grief has been an incredibly like big blessing for me. I think when people go through grief at a young age, it's such a tough grief. Like it just teaches you so much, like what matters, what doesn't matter, um, who you want to be. I think the legacy you want to live and you want to leave behind, like that all becomes a full reality to you because you realize like we're not here for that long. We're not here for that long and it can all change in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that. I, I feel very similarly and I feel like I've described grief before as like a prism. It kind of like clarified things like you have all these inputs coming in and then, you know, my life three years ago, like they were all really important, you know, and, and I wanted to pursue everything and I wanted to, um, spread my energy in you know, every, every kind of way possible just to see what was out there. And then, you know, Lee died and, and the way that I felt like I was very different. Like I went to a very depressed place, like right away. Mm. Like I was not okay. And, um, ironically it kind of gave me cause I've always been a very positive person too. Like I've, you know, maybe had some situational depression, like, Hey, things aren't going my way right now, but I've never been like clinically mm-hmm. depressed. I'd always been able to kind of like roll with the punches and that depression after she died, like gave me my first kind of insight into, Oh man, like if this is even a fraction of what she was dealing with on an everyday basis, like I get it. I get it. I get it. And it was you know, cruel, obviously, in a way that it had that had to happen for me to truly understand what she was going through. And but it's I don't, all perspective. But it's just yeah. yeah, it's perspective. And then the second thing I would say is that, um, like you said, it just really crystallized priorities for me. Um, you know, I I feel like I've always really invested in my community and in the people in my life, and you know, sometimes not even sometimes like often at the expense of say working longer hours or like pursuing, you know, career stuff or, you know, I've really like prioritized like being around great people Mm -hmm. and like investing in those relationships. And when she died, it was so clear that that had been an excellent choice. Um, you know, in even months later, six months, nine months later, um, there was nothing that could make me feel any better other than the people 
that were in my mm-hmm. world. You know, if you had given me the keys to my dream car or you had said, here's a mansion, like it's yours or um, here's your dream job, like take it and run. Like honestly, like nothing crickets, yeah. like it would not have mattered at all. But it was the people who showed up, the people who called, the people who like dropped stuff off or came by to like take me out and Mm -hmm. go for a hike. Like those were the only things that actually made any sort of like impact into my world at that point. And I was like, hmm, this is the key to life. Like (laughs) if Mm -hmm. people are wondering what the secret to happiness is, it's community and connection and relationships because all that other stuff, like, you know, now two years, like, if you want to give me my dream car, like, sure. Like, but do I know that that's not actually making me happy? It's just like kind of a blip on Mm -hmm. the, the happiness radar. Like, yeah. And would I trade all of it for better and deeper relationships? Like, yes, like absolutely. I think it's a, it definitely like, unfortunately and kind of fortunately, like it, it is a realization of like the people in your life as well and like how they show up for you. Um, I've always been someone that I, I feel like I show up for my people really hard. Um, but when something like that and that devastating, like I, I do realize like I, I lost a lot of friendships from that experience. Um, which is a whole secondary grief unto itself. Yes. Yes. Which I don't um, know if people talk about that. Often. And just the way, like, you know, it's like I look back and I'm like, wow, that's how I like, you know, how people aren't able to talk to you after like someone passes cause they don't know what to say. And that makes total sense. Like I've been on that side of it. You have no idea what to say. Um, but there's just like, there's just something in, in your, your friendships. Like I had people that like didn't reach out whatsoever for months or mm-hmm. also that, you know, you think of work and you think of different friendships, like you're not always like supported and, or like told what to do or what's okay. Um, and that was really, really hard for me. I think like you think you got to go right back to work and like, you don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. Um, and that for me, like, that's what I turned to. I just turned straight into work. Um, didn't really hang out with people too much. I just like started beelining to like work and doing what I could to keep my mind off of things. But that most definitely burnt me the hell out. Yeah. It's funny that I had a very similar conversation with shy on the last episode and she did the same thing when her dad died. She just like booked every job and just kept herself so busy. And I told her the same thing, which was like, I am so impressed that you could do that. Like Mm -hmm. I still to this day, like, I can tell that my brain doesn't work in the same way. Like I'm still feeling like the effects of like my memory is not quite as sharp. Like my attention span is like not quite there in the way that it used to be, but there was no way I was going to be working on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess like the other aspect of it too is like I hung out with people because I didn't know if I like spent time by myself, like, where I was going to go like, and, and, you know, the people who came by in the first month and and showed up and supported me and just like slept on the couch and did the dishes and like made sure I ate, like that was literally everything. And then, you know, naturally at some point, like there comes a time when people have to go back to their lives, you know? And, um, and I remember call it a couple months out, like people stopped calling people stopped showing up and I was in Santa Barbara where I'd been living with Lee and 
had a small community there, you know, five or six people, but not like my LA community had been. And, you know, I get it. Santa Barbara's an hour and a half from LA and mm-hmm. longer on a Friday with traffic, but you know, it was, it was not easy for people to just show up anymore. And I, I started having days where I like wouldn't see people and those days got like really dark. Mm-hmm. And so that was definitely part of my motivation to move back here is just to be like in easier access to, to my community. But with that, even knowing that, you know, Santa Barbara to LA is an hour and a half, like there were people who I thought I was really close friends with who never showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't blame them because I think specifically like North America does not have a great culture around right. talking about death. And like you said, like people don't know what to do. They think that, showing up might be awkward. I might not want them there. I might just need time by myself. You know, like you can fill in all the kind of standard answers there. Um, but just for anyone listening, like if somebody does lose someone and you're at all close to them or even not that close to them, just show up, show up and and just show up and like offer to like, grab some takeout and like mm-hmm. sit on the couch and watch TV with them. Like it literally doesn't matter what you do. Um, but doing something is something that the person will always remember and not doing something is also something that the person will always remember. Right. And, and just to like, not to put too fine a point on it, but like somebody who's like going through intense grief, like doesn't know or generally can't ask for the things that they need. Like they don't know what they need. They don't know that they need someone to just show up with, you know, Chinese food and sit on the couch and watch a show Mm -hmm. and like not talk. Like who would ever ask? Like I would never ask a friend to do that. Be Mm -hmm. like, Hey, can you bring me some food? And then just like sit here for company while we like don't talk. But like, if you do it, you might be giving that person exactly what they need. What they needed. Yeah, exactly. And you said something like the way that it has affected like your brain since like, I can tell, like, I have brain fog and, like, I, I felt my re- New Year's resolution this year was <clears throat> to to get a, like, clearer mind because my mm. mind has felt so foggy since then. Um, and I, I think it was, like, truly actually, like, my brain that made me realize, like, I was doing way too much from, like, a work perspective and stuff because I... One, I couldn't, I, I told you this when we last spoke, but I, I couldn't remember any memories with my brother yet. I had lived side by side with him my entire life. Um, and when he passed, like, cause of the trauma of it. And I, I mean, if you want to show this, I mean, he did use a gun and he shot himself. So I think the trauma of that itself, um, really, really fucked me up to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I couldn't remember anything. And then it was like the four month mark and I ended up going to a rake or no, sorry, an open class shot on open and <laughs> did a breath work with Ali Maz. And that like one, if we could talk about like healing techniques and stuff and, yeah. and just remedies that need to happen after you lose someone or that you can t- turn to like breath work for me was really, really healing. One, I did my first breath work practice and it was extremely intense, but I was able to like ricochet through all these different memories Mm -hmm. um and i don't think you realize like how much like at least i didn't because i've always been like the strong warrior could get through anything never sad like she's all good she's strong um she's got it going on but i 
don't think if it weren't for like my brain giving me like these wild signs. Another thing was like I was at an AA meeting and I remember a girl sharing her story um, about wanting to take her life and that she would have used a gun. And she said, I, I, um, I wanted to blow my brains out. And that moment, like when that happened, my whole head like went back and I fell back into the stands, like I'd almost like passed out. And it was like my brain had truly like ricocheted through. Like it felt like I was like had vertigo for like a good solid three seconds that just like hit my brain. Um, so I don't know. It just might listen to your body. I think that was something like I really needed to like be aware of like how much trauma I'm actually carrying. How much, and then also at what weird points it can come back. Like I'm sure that girl was not thinking about the impact of her words, but mm-hmm. for someone who lost their brother to a gunshot wound. Oh, there's there's no doubt about that part of it. I didn't. I've never been someone who's like real. Um, I would never hold someone like accountable for saying something like, but it's something to be aware of now. Like anyone saying like, you know, using the finger module of like having a gun to their hand, you know, or, you know, who talk about like, just want to jump in front of a train or, you know, it's, it's crazy what that does to my brain. I'll, I don't usually call people out on it and I don't say anything, but like, it affects me so hard and I can tell like I get really weird in my body and I can't talk when someone does something like that. And I'm sure after a few moments they might realize what they've done and like that it affected me. But yeah, it's little things that like come up all the time that are just a massive trigger. Yeah. They can bring you right back. I, I had a weird moment where I actually did it to myself. Like I was talking about getting sick and getting COVID and was like, yeah, it was like I got hit by a, Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay mm-hmm. i'm not gonna use that phrase anymore because mm-hmm. that that getting hit by an anything phrase mm-hmm. is like not something that i want to do yeah um but let's i want to talk more about breath work and healing yeah. um you know i i experienced a similar thing um to you where i like when i i was sitting in a ceremony and i was I could like feel Lee like on the like kind of outer periphery of my consciousness. But then I was trying to think about specific memories and like none of the specific memories were coming back. And it made me just like overwhelmingly sad. Like, like why would I not be able to call back any of these memories? And I went through a, a whole kind of self analysis. Like, is it because like they're traumatic or they're tied to bad times? Or every time I think about her, I end up feeling terrible, but I had the only times I've really been able to like, you know, kind of people ask me if I dream about her all the time. I, I don't like, I don't know why. Um, Mm -hmm. but the times when I have been able to like really feel her very close were oftentimes in breath work uh, Mm -hmm. as well, which was super interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, curious what other kind of like healing modalities you've, you've used and breath work has most definitely been the most intense for me. Um, I had a really, really beautiful ceremony on like the four month mark of with Reiki when my brother passed and I kind of just lay down and it's a dark room and I hadn't actually ever been to a Reiki class, although I do yoga quite a lot and and, I'm in that community, but I was looking for something to kind of receive energy rather than give energy that day. Um, and it felt really heavy. It almost felt like at the four month mark, like the reality of all of it had sank in and there's no more adrenaline pumping through you. Mm. Um, 
and it was really wild. Like I could, you just lay there and, and the teacher was singing and it was kind of ricocheting through my brain. And, um, I walked, I basically like, I have a weird thing with hands where I can like really envision people's hands. So mm. while I was in it, like I just kept seeing like my brother's hands holding my grandmother's hands and my grandfather's and they were all holding them like all in a row. Um, and I could feel this like weight on my chest and I was just like crying slowly. Um, and at the end of the class, the Reiki teacher was like to the girl on the right and was like, oh, you just needed to relax today. And then looked to the guy on my left and was like, oh, you had something going on with your knee. I don't know what that was. And he was like, oh, yeah, my, you know, I had to walk to class today. And then looked at me and she's like, you had angels flying all around you. But it was wild because that, that's all I was thinking about was like all my family and my connections and the spiritual world. Um, but Reiki's been really, really good for me. Um the breath work, to be honest with you, the reason I think it is so impactful is because of how it stimulates your central nervous system. And we don't realize how much trauma we carry and all of that. So that to me has been the most intense form of therapy for me and healing. Um, I've done therapy. Talk therapy to me, though, um, hasn't been as helpful, to be honest with you. I might not have found the right therapist, but talk therapy, I'm really open about my story and I want to be open so that I can, you know, help other people and connect with other people who might be going through it. But talk therapy to me hasn't been as helpful as like the stuff where I'm really getting into my body and like moving, um, or working it out to be honest. Yeah. I feel very similarly. I did months of therapy and at some point I was like, still waiting for like a breakthrough. Like mm -hmm. I haven't had like any breakthroughs like I've had with breath work or ceremony, like plant medicine or, mm -hmm. um, even just like somatic, you know, being outside exercise, just like dancing, like just feeling trauma kind of like move through my body. Um, because there was a point, well, right, right after I remember my family had showed up, um, some of my best friends had showed up like the, the first inner circle of people that I called, um, to tell. And it was probably like the next day or the day after. And I, we were all sitting around and, you know, it felt like kind of the right time to tell them what had happened. And I remember telling them and I couldn't get through the story without like my whole body, like mm -hmm. violently shaking. Like it felt like I was had hypothermia, like that kind of shivering, shaking, mm -hmm. like it was, um, but it was, it was uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that as I told, so, okay, they stayed for a couple of days and then the next round of people came and at some point I told them and, you know, I kind of kept talking about it and telling, telling my inner most friends and family various details and parts of the story. And every time I took it, I noticed I shook a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was kind of like a really good, like concrete indicator, like, okay, like talking about this is going to help you. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I think also what kind of pointed me towards like sharing really openly and, um, and even talking about it online. I mean, now I'm starting a podcast to talk about it like more broadly. And so so I guess what I'm trying to say is like talking about it was super helpful, but talking about it to a therapist who didn't really know me was not super helpful. And it was almost like by sharing it with people who cared about me and were invested in me, it, it felt like 
it was reflected back in enough different ways that I've seen it from so many different angles mm-hmm. now that the therapy just felt like another stranger to talk to. And I was like, I can, I can find other strangers to talk to. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, that's the same. I, I, I felt really disconnected with mine. Um, at least, I mean, maybe in the future I'll find someone, but I'd not, I don't want to just talk the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying anything bad about it. No, not there, at all. There's, there's a lot of people for whom that is like super critical. And actually one of the things that it's not talk therapy, but it sometimes feels like it is, um, I just joined a men's group. And mm-hmm. so that's been really interesting. Um, a lot of my like close friends and the people that I was talking to were female friends. And so to have like a group of really like self-possessed, like very aware men who are also like going through their own stuff mm-hmm. and sharing, you know, troubles and, but also wins and supporting each other. Like that's been super helpful. Um, and I think that's the same with Dylan's camp, like being in that community, we have a zoom call every month and, and with the community and I'm so open about my story that I think that for a long time really carried me. I feel like we're almost opposite. Like my, my struggle has felt like it hit me like six months ago. Not that it obviously wasn't a blacked out struggle before, but like where I feel like really down, um, and very lethargic and having a really hard time doing day-to-day stuff. Yeah. And, and just from afar, I I was actually really proud of you for taking a step back from work and taking your, I don't want to call it a walkabout or a soul searching trip, but it was pretty fascinating to see you go to all the places that Dylan had loved and connect with his community. And you can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, that happened. I had gotten a lot of information that hadn't come up yet um, around my brother's passing um, this year. So it would have been about a year after it had happened and at the beginning of the year during New Year's. And when I'd gotten the information, it was new and it was just a lot to take in. And I had also taken a phone call from a friend who had just lost her sister and I was the first person she called. Um, and I just realized, like, I couldn't do this any longer where... Like in work, like I turned to work and I, I'm in sales. So I'd had my best seven months of sales right after he had passed. And I had just grinding and doing everything, doing the nonprofit. And when I got that information, it was like I, I truly didn't know what to do with any of it anymore. And I was like, I need, like I've been doing a lot of things to honor my brother and I keep his name alive like pretty often in, in almost every conversation I have. But it was time for me to like really do something to like heal. And so I, I ended up going to Columbia with my dad. My dad's a big traveler. So I had an opportunity to meet him down in Columbia for a month, which that was healing in and of itself. My dad's pretty wild. And I, um, right when we got down there, had you ever, I, had you ever traveled just with your dad before? Not, I mean, no, not just with him. Cause it was always me, my dad or my brother, or they would go on a boy's trip. It wasn't really like me or my, in my dad. Um, and we kind of have like a, tum- like a funny tumultuous relationship where like I'm the mom and he's the kid. Um, <laughs> and so we, I met him down in Columbia and it was supposed to be like four or five days with him and it ended up being like a month with him. And then I went into, um, I got into a seven day plant ceremony, um, down in Ecuador, which was incredibly beautiful and healing. And I had never done it before. So that was really, really beautiful. But I think the part with my dad specifically, cause my dad's not really someone, he, you know, he's 
60 years old and he um, has used a lot of substances his whole life to cope with things. And for him, like this has been, I, I, I'm really proud of my parents for even being able to get through this. Cause if you would have asked me if they would have survived this type of incident, like I would have said never, and nor would my dad have been able to do it sober, but he has. Um, and when we were down there, like I can remember like trying to bring up Dylan's name and we're all really close. We talk about everything. We don't have any boundaries. And I was trying to talk about Dylan. He's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about Dylan right now. You know? And I'm like, no dad, that's like, that is why we're here. That's why I'm here. Like we're talking about Dylan. Like we're going to share all the stories. And by the end of the trip, he'd be walking and we're on a trek and he's like, you hear that Dylan? Like you with us, you know? And that to me was healing to be able to like get my dad to that point to feel comfortable and vulnerable to be able to talk about his son and all the good memories and all the things. And it ended up, I mean, both of us were like, it was the best trip of our life to be able to go together. Um, and then from Ecuador, I went and took off to Indonesia for six weeks where my brother lived. Um, he lived over there for a couple years and, and he lived in this tiny village in Lombok right off of Bali and it was so incredibly beautiful going over there and being able to to experience that now after he's passed because I have been there before. But I I went and, and the whole village, a lot of them don't speak English, but I would ride by and they'd be like, Dylan, Dylan's sister. And as I, you know, come into their houses, they'd tell me all these stories of Dylan. But it was so cool to me to be able to travel all the way across the world, step into this community and be like, oh my God, you guys loved my brother the exact way I loved my brother. Like you knew him exactly for who he was. And, um, you know, to know him was to love him. So it was just cool to, to see a whole entire community supporting him and grieving him. And yeah, it was really, really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, to, to go half around the world and then realize that he had this connection to people that you then got to share that's that's pretty special yeah and like building you you know he built walls over there and just little things like I, I I told Johnny his best friend that lives over there in Lombok um I told him I was like you know it's it's so cool to I'm like touching the walls that he built and there's moss growing on them and it's just, it's really interesting because I had gone there five years before that with my brother. But when I went, I'm exploring and I'm surfing and I'm running around and doing all these things. But this time it was such an incredibly like different ex- or perspective where I came in and I was seeing things so differently. I was in with the people like cooking in their homes and like just really wanting to like sit in that environment for as long as I possibly could to soak it all in. Um, and I, you know, you, you, you try to find the silver lining and everything, or at least I do. And I, you know, I took a moment while I was over there. I was like, wow, I would have never come and done this had my brother not passed and experienced this the way that it, it has gone. And I mean, now that's not going anywhere either. Right. No. So like, that's always a place you'll have and a community and a family. Oh, you'll have. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yes. Um, I'm I'm curious how because your situation is really different from mine in in one very notable way, which is that you know to me, it it Lee's death happened to me. Yes, my family knew and loved her. Yes, they were affected by it too. But it was it was my person, right? And for you guys, it happened as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like beyond the trip with your dad, you guys have been healing as a family, or is people kind of 
taking their own paths through it? You know what? Like we have, our family's always been really close, but we've been like, we're just like dysfunctional. Um, and so I feel like with my brother's passing, I could, I, if you would have asked me before and I could have predicted the future, like I would have told you, there's no way my mother would have survived this. Like there's no way that she could have gone through this and come out strong. Um, and with my dad, I would have told you that there's no way he would, he would have been able to remain sober and the will they have to like get through this. It's almost feels like they're, they're like living for Dylan and that like, I think they also see me and they're like trying to trudge behind me. Just like, let's go. Like we got to go, like we've got to do this. Cause if you don't like you just, fall into the depths of the grief and we have people that we see that have done that and like I just can't do that I my family doesn't want to do that for my brother and so I've actually seen them come out and be so much stronger and better for it to be honest with you um which is all that you can hope for in that situation I guess um but you know they're doing all right they're they're I'm really happy like for them and our relationship is gotten so much closer in every way. And I think I'm just a lot more aware of that as well. I mean, that's a, so good to hear and be kind of what I, I think everybody probably hopes for, right? If, if you're going to lose somebody, if you're going to have this terrible experience, at least you hope it brings everyone closer together Mm -hmm. on the other side. And, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, like reminds you what's important. And it's amazing that, and my parents are the same way as well. Like my brother and, or my dad in his um, AA meetings, it's like he's constantly sharing the story of my brother and, and that community loved my brother very much. So I think that community itself has been really, really healing for my dad because he can go in and share a story. And then you have four other guys standing up and telling a story about my brother to help him. Um, and then my mom, she like drives Uber in Missouri and she will like anyone that comes into her car, she's like, as long as they're open to like hearing it, she'll like tell them the story. But she has made so many connections with people and helped people and befriended people because of their own struggles or something that's similar to what my brother had gone through or what we've gone through with my brother. Um, so there, it, it is very, very powerful to be vulnerable and open about your story. I would say that I've gotten a lot of healing out of it. Yes. And I agree. And I think one of the things it does too, that I wasn't, expecting I don't think I'd even thought about it so it's not that I wasn't expecting it but is it really opens your eyes to how many people have gone through Mm. some sort of traumatic loss you know and I think that the best way I can describe it is almost like there's this world existing like right under the surface Mm. of the world that we're in where you know you see the cashier at the store or your neighbor or your teacher or somebody and you just see them as as that right but Mm -hmm. until you actually share a story and give them an opportunity to to share their own back you don't realize that like maybe they're dealing with something you know Mm -hmm. huge in their own world and and once you start seeing that you're like holy shit like Mm -hmm. this is a whole world here of people um interconnected who are so interconnected and and that's honestly one of my, um, saying like my favorite thing about grief is kind of a weird phrase, but, um, you know, while you're experiencing it, 
grief feels so isolating, Mm -hmm. right? Like you feel like nothing has ever happened like this to anyone else or no one Mm -hmm. can understand because they didn't know that person or, you know, whatever you're slice it however you want. But I think on the, the other side of grief is this feeling that it's actually one of the most connecting things Mm -hmm. because at some point everyone will experience some form of it. And to, to have that empathy for people and to to know that there are other people who've been through similar things and hopefully have that empathy for you can can actually and I'll speak for myself it's it's actually made me feel much more connected to people than mm-hmm. I did before mm-hmm. um, having experienced it I think when it's that serious yeah I think where I say I'm less connected it's like when I'm just having the mundane conversations yeah. Yeah. to be honest but yes yeah. if it's connecting in any way of, of grief or loss or anything. I mean, I'm all ears and, and yeah, it's, it's been wild how, I mean, I can even remember like my dad didn't want to talk about it and he was really sad in the grocery store. I think it was only like a week after my brother had passed and he, the store clerk asked him like if something, like if he was okay and he was like, sorry, I just lost my son. And he's like, how'd you lose your son? And you know, the clerk had lost his son by suicide as well. And Mm. it's wild. It's so wild. I feel like every time I open up my mouth in a room, someone will come out and and just blows me away. I'm like, what? Like, what? Yeah. I I like what you said, unfortunately. Yeah. But also, I mean, hoping that people don't go through grief is great, but like the reality is it's part of the human experience. And we're all going to, yeah, it's, yeah. that's the other reality of it. I'm like, <clears throat> we like, everyone will go through it. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Yep. No one prepares you for it. And no one talks about it. And grief is the wildest roller coaster I've ever ridden in my life. Like the ups, the downs, the unknown, what's next. Um, that feeling of like, I say this to people all the time now that it's been two years, like, it's true when people say like you just you you'll never get over it but you just learn how to live with it um but it's crazy the type of pain like I'll go like a you know 3 weeks he's on my mind every day and I'm thinking about him every hour of every day but where you don't get like super emotional about it or you're not sad or you're not really thinking about it too much but then all of a sudden like one day or one morning you wake up or one something happens and the feeling of sadness and the reality of it like hits you so hard. And in that moment, once you feel that, like it doesn't feel like that's going to go away. Like even though you know tomorrow will bring a different feeling and you know that from historically, like you're going to be fine, like that feeling. And I kind of think that that's like how depression feels. Like it's never going to go away in that moment. And it feels so incredibly intense and painful and real Um, but that still happens like every few weeks for me. And sometimes it's, you know, a span of three or four days where I just can't get out of it. And it's wild how that just comes kind of out of nowhere too. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be like an actual trigger. Like I, I had a, I had that yesterday where I opened up, um, she had these headphones and 
my headphones were fine, but I needed an extra pair of headphones to run some of this podcast equipment. And I opened up the headphones and like attached to the head, like whatever. I'd, I'd had the headphones in my drawer, so I'd seen them. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. But I hadn't really opened them. And I opened the headphones up and like one of her hairs was mm. like still attached to the headphone. And like just like seeing something as small as like a hair, but like that was like her, you know. Mm-hmm. Just but like these are his socks, and I haven't washed me. them. Yeah, yeah, and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Love that; those are great socks. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, you know that was that was like, oof! Like, yeah. where did that come from? And you know, I think part of that was because we never, and this is for better or worse, but like we never saw a body, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, turns out. <laughs> when you jump in front of a train, the family does not get to see the body and that's probably a good thing. Um, but it means that we went, you know, I went from kissing her goodbye in the driveway to being handed a box of ashes. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like a very surreal transition where it's like, did she really go? Is she, she like still out there somewhere? Is she, you know, living her best life, like traveling around. Is this just all like Mm -hmm. a bad joke? And so to like, even, you know, see like a very, you know, we're talking like one single hair from her head, Mm -hmm. but to see that like physical reminder, I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, like I'm really sad right now. And then, you know, a couple hours later, you're like, all right, like I can do this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. We're we're back. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to have like, my mom and I talking so much, like we'll, you know, call each other anytime we're feeling it and just immediately both just like start sobbing together. And I'm really grateful for that relationship and to be able to have that with her. But yeah, it's a long road and it's like, you keep looking and I'm like, Oh, well I thought I was like, I was all right at six months and then eight months. And you know, my friend, um, Steph, she'd lost her brother a year before mine. And, it's been she's a strong like such a strong woman and like really really guided me like I feel like she's literally like picked me up by the back of my head been like let's go like we're not like you're not sinking into oblivion um so she's been incredibly helpful for me but having her just even like guide me and be like it it gets worse like at the two-year mark it becomes like full-blown reality and it's not only it's not last year anymore that it happened and it's weird how timing gets all distorted with death like there's before their death and there's after their death and your entire life is based off of before their death or after their death um yeah it's it's really interesting how death and grief and all these things like play hand in hand and i'm just learning all about it but yeah i i feel like time has become a very um malleable thing Mm -hmm. since since she died like Mm -hmm. you know when i think of two years i'm like that's not that long Mm -hmm. but then it feels like absolutely forever ago Mm -hmm. and then on the flip side i think about you know i can flash back instantly to you know the days before the hours before Mm -hmm. the days after the hours after and like that feels like yesterday Mm -hmm. and i'm like how has it already been two years so just like this weird very mixed thing which 
I guess time's just a flat circle anyway, but <laughs> it is, but like, even, even like it's coming up. So it's June, what 13th today. Like it's, it's about to be one month before it's just two years. And I even noticed like it's getting into summer, but like that same feeling of the way that it was like, whether it was winter, whether it was summer, like all of that like affects me. And I can tell like right now getting and leading up to that anniversary, like I can feel my body's more like tense and, mm -hmm. I, I just have to be a little bit more aware of it. And I am, and I can understand, like, I'll be more anxious or um, a bit more uptight. And it's all because, like, I can tell my body's, like, starting to feel everything that it felt at that time because everything feels more similar. Absolutely. I mean, the our the physical world and how it corresponds to our memories is so, so powerful. Um, again, that's another reason I I had to leave Santa Barbara because at least here in LA, like I don't have the same cues that I had leading up to it. And, um, you know, when March rolled around there and it's feeling exactly the same weather and I'm sitting on the same porch where I was sitting, like waiting to hear back from the, the cops and like, I, yeah, don't need to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, do you guys have a, a way that you celebrate his, death anniversary do you well there's to... only been one now yeah. so um i mean i went surfing last time so i went up to malibu and went surfing um and then came back and lit the land like those lanterns and rode on them so i had my dad and my mom write them and we lit them um in the sky but it's weird like i i i struggle with it it's like do you, do you celebrate there you know it's like it's like you want to celebrate anything that has to do with them, right? Sure, so you yeah. love to celebrate their birthday. You love to celebrate like milestones in their life and stuff. But, um, in that book, how to die happy with Martin O'Toole, that's one thing. It's like, do you like, when do you stop celebrating their anniversary? Mm -hmm. Do you, or is it celebration? Um, but no, there's no, no specific thing. Our, our thing has been that we go out to Missouri, which is where we grew up, um, on the 4th of July. And it was right before he passed away that we had our last trip out there. So last year we did that. We went out to Missouri into the Lake of the Ozarks and did a big boating trip. And, um, we're going to do the same thing this year, but it just happens on the fourth rather than the 15th. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this, where there's no like guidebook for it. Like, no, nobody's like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Recommend celebrating this one. Or maybe just forget that that one <laughs> exists. No, there's no like, nobody really and there's also like the social pressure of all of it. Like, I think about it, like you're asking me like I took that three month trip I'm like well if you would ask my work they wouldn't have been like so for what I did but honestly like the social aspect of it is weird like all I want to do is say his name all I want to do is post about him to be honest with you like if I have anything to post I want it to be about my brother yeah. but yet it's been two years and people are probably like okay yeah. all right you but you know what? Fuck them. Like, I know. That's, 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 your, that's your... And that's what I say, but I think about it all the time. I'm like, yeah, it's it's been a while, but that's like all you want to do is stay connected with them. You don't want it to pass. You don't want time to pass. Um, it's another weird thing is they're not going to get older that is <laughs> in true. your mind. I mean, in my mind, when her, so her birthday is October 31st, so mm. Halloween, so that's a very fun... yeah birthday for her to have um and she loved dressing up and getting everyone to dress up and throwing a big party but um yeah she is she is it's funny she is getting older in my mind it's like oh we're celebrating your your next birthday mm -hmm. um as opposed to like just being frozen in time but 
well, and now I'm, you know, I was, I'm 22 months older than, or younger than my brother, but now so I'm old. 31. I'm older than him. And mm. yeah, what he lived to be. That's a really interesting um, thing. That is. Yeah. Um, any last like thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, any, like any resources you've used that you found particularly helpful or anything that you'd want to, um, I mean, I think I didn't reference this other book, but like for me, when, when I was struggling, I had, I had started listening to all these podcasts right after it had happened. And, and the first book I turned to was many lives, many masters, and that changed my life. And I think it would change anyone's life. Um, whether you're going through that or not. That, that was also given to me very soon after. And someone who gave it to me was like, it might be too soon. I was like, no, no, it's no, not. No, no. <laughs> no. And I'm so glad this, I just kept reading all these podcasts that were referencing it and I could not put it down. And I've read it like three times now. Like I love it. Um, so many lives, many masters. And then the other one that I think is just so relevant to like everything we're talking about is how to die happy by Martin O'Toole. Um, there's a lot in it. Um, one that he experienced, you know, wanting to take his life and, um, but just so much, so much wisdom is written in the book, um, on many, many different topics. And it has really, really helped guide me, um, most recently in a lot of different things. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm about halfway through it. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being Thanks, here. Jordan. Really appreciate How your time. Fun. And- <laughs> being so open and getting to honor Dylan. And I think hopefully people who listen to this will have a little bit, a little bit of a bright spot to look forward to in hearing your story. I'm sure Lee and Dylan are smiling. Oh yeah. I'm sure they're <laughs> partying it up. Exactly. <laughs> yes. From, from what I can yeah. tell, I feel like, I feel like they would have gotten along really well. Yes. Yes. Thanks for listening to another episode of Never the Same. You can find more episodes as well as some supplemental media over at neverthesame.substack.com. And you can even sign up and get notified when new episodes come out. I occasionally post over on the gram under my name, Jordan P. Chu, C-H-I-U. Really appreciate the support. See you guys for the next one. Until then.